We got some new names for some old faces across independent league baseball, and we got much more to talk about this week on the Indie Ball Report podcast. Alright, we're back again. Episode number 151 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. And we got a decent little slate of stuff to talk about this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, an official an official hiring, which is a, which is certainly a good thing, uh, as well as a extra inning rule that I have to say, Nick, I've thought of a lot of scenarios as yeah. far as extra innings and how like you could solve it in the most ridiculous ways possible. I have never, never in my life thought about uh, thought about this extra inning rule because it is. Uh, I'll, I'll save my thoughts for it. So when, so when we actually get there, but it's. It, I've never thought of that as a possibility ever. You know, why don't we just jump right into those uh, extra it. inning rules? Because, I mean, they're certainly the headliner of the week. Let's, let's just do it. And to fill you in on um, what we're talking about here, the Frontier League has done away with their home run derby for settling Ooh. ties. Now, obviously, some people liked it, some people didn't. I was pretty neutral on it. I think it, you know, it worked well enough. It only affected something like about 25 games across the whole league last year. So it really wasn't you know, too prevalent and wasn't too important. And that's roughly the same amount of games that this rule is going to affect as well here. But uh, instead of it, we are going to a one inning, extra inning, that's going to use the runner on second. So the international tie-breaking rule, I think, is the official name for it. If we still do not have any resolution, it's still tied after 10, we go to sudden death. So sudden death baseball is apparently... The home team choosing whether they want to bat or pitch, and a runner will be placed on first, the same manner from which you'd get the runner on second in the previous inning. And if that runner comes around to score, then the batting team wins. It's game over. If that batter does not score, then the pitching team wins. Game over. So it's, I don't want to say it's like the NFL rule because it's not really exactly like the NFL rule. And I saw a lot of people saying, oh, it's basically that online. It's not really because technically defense can win you the game. Now, what's more likely? I don't really know. Obviously, you know, any metric you have would probably be based off of Major League Baseball as to what's more likely to happen to get three outs or a runner scores before you get three outs. And that's not exactly applicable, different data sets and everything. Uh, but it is an interesting role. I can't quite tell my full thoughts on it quite yet. But one other little tidbit about before we really dive into discussing it, been in the works since at least 2019. Dennis Pelfrey was the one who kind of threw the original idea of something like this out there. Uh, obviously, he's with the Giants organization now, was with uh, the Florence at the time, Freedom. Uh, he suggested and then others in the competition committee uh, kind of took it, ran with it, changed it up a little bit, and then this is the product we have now. And the main reason why this is being used is kind of citing game length, injury prevention, and additional strategy. I I do suppose there is more strategy in which side are you going to pick, how are you going to approach the next three at-bats when it's do or die as opposed to just a uh, three-round home run derby. 
Obviously, the 10th inning, and sorry, when the runner on second, I've been very vocal as far as in minor league baseball, independent league baseball, I have no problem with that because uh, there's just not enough real, there's not enough pitching to have marathon games where nobody scores. Yeah. That being said, this rule in the 11th inning, uh, it's just so like unique and so outside the box. Like, my first thought was that this is terrible. Yeah, that was my first. That was my first thought. I'm like, this is an absolute joke. And then I thought more about it. And I'm like, well, it is really exciting and comes into play a lot of strategy because just thinking, at least from uh, at least my thinking, I of course it's hard to know like the stats. Or I'm sure if we d- dived into it enough, we could probably find the stats on the internet about what's more likely, as you, the scenario mentioned. Yeah. But you would think you would probably pick defense, right? Yeah, uh, unless you had like the heart of your order coming up, and you knew, or like if your opponent, you know, had had like a bullpen day the day earlier or something like that. There could be a situation where batting would make more sense, but yeah, probably defense would be my guess. And not only that, I think another thing you'd have to consider. So I'd say my overall thoughts of it are mostly like not. I don't love it. I don't hate it, but it's not. It's it, there's a lot of like unintended consequences. I think that could happen. First of all, let's think about it from this perspective. Let's say uh, top of the tenth, bottom of the tenth goes by whatever the source tied. Yeah. So it goes to the eleventh inning into this rule. Uh, let's say the home team wins the coin toss and they elect to hit, right? Yeah. That pretty much, does that not essentially force the pitcher out of the game who pitched the 10th inning? Because one, you had super high stress pitches considering you had a runner on second in extra innings to begin with yeah. and not having an issue with that. But you're also, you can't keep him out there because then he's essentially sitting down. The coin toss takes all of what, 45 seconds to a minute? And then he's, he's back on the mound again. Well, it's not, so then you're t- it's not so even really a coin toss, though. It's the home team deciding whether they want to hit or pitch. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so the home team saying, okay, we want to hit. Yeah. Um, that seems in a very interesting scenario that could you theoretically keep a pit – if you're the visiting team, could you tell – like keep a pitcher out there for a second straight inning? Because you assume with a runner on second – generally those innings aren't quick yeah. uh, just because one, you're pitching from the stretch Two, like, I don't know. Well, of course it takes longer cause there's runners on base. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who knows how many runs were scored to keep the game tied at, and in the first place. Yeah. But like you, you, I feel like you're, are you not forcing that pitcher out of the game pretty much? Cause let's say he needs 20 pitches to get out of that jam that of course we'll say wasn't his, uh, yeah. his doing. He needs like 20, 22 pitches to get out of the jam. So then he come, he gets a third out, comes off the mound. The home team says, we want to hit. And then they don't have either the bullpen short or, or whatever. Yeah. And he's then got to turn around, go back out and keep pitching. So then it turns into a, so what, like a potential like 40 pitch inning. You might get the win, but like, yeah. uh, wow, I think that's, that's another kind of consequence there that. Yeah, and I, it's still a stressful just, inning there. The eleventh would be, yeah, because you still have the runner on first there. That I mean, really, if you want to get down to it, you could probably either sacrifice him over to second. You still have two outs to play with, and then you'd let the last two just kind of swing for it. 
Like, obviously, you're not going to move him over too much via sacrifice because, I mean, you do that twice and now all of a sudden you're really, you know, up against yeah. the wall. But, I mean, doing that once, especially if he's already on second, I mean, like, it, there is, that is a good point, though, about the pitching, about the what pitch you're going to run out there. Or do you say in the 10th, let's hold back the best reliever we have available in case we need him for the 11th. And if we get in trouble here in the 10th, then we'll call him out. But yeah, but I don't know if you can do that considering you're already starting with a runner on second, right? Cause true, and yeah. you assume the game is close and you're trying, you're trying to win the game there. I, I can't see you saving a closer. Like and that, that's assuming they didn't pitch in the ninth inning to begin with. Well, we don't for a lot of, a lot of, strategy that I'm fascinated to see how these managers uh, approach it because I don't think there's one singular way to approach it, especially as far as like choosing offense, defense, if you're the home team, it all depends like, okay, where are you hitting in your order? What pitching do you have available? What kind of game was it? Are we talking like, is, was this a, was this a two to two uh, game or is this a, like an eight to eight game where you, your, your starter got pulled after like three and two thirds and your bullpen stressed, and you just were like, all right, we're just going to try and win the game with our offense. I, I don't know. It makes it some really interesting strategy, but I don't love this idea that just that scenario kind of scares me with the fact that you're essentially forcing a pitcher out of the game in that scenario where the visiting team gets out of the bottom of the 10th and the home team chooses to hit, right? Mm. Unless, unless there's like a starter, but in which case, like, Still, it would be at least like even in the quickest of innings, starting pitcher, you're still get like a solid like seven eight minutes rest in a in a game where like yeah. I don't know it's like a, like a like a six or seven pitch inning or whatever. Yeah. So, which I don't, then if you're I don't, using a starter, that part. yeah, and if you're using a starter, I mean that really is going to mess up your rotation later on down the line. So right, it's not even like you can really go to that. I mean that's really it almost seems to me. Like, and this is going to sound weird. You run your closer out in the ninth, presuming that you have a lead or it's tied. So you're running him out there because that's the highest leverage situation of the game. So you put him out there to go and either keep the score what it is or get you the win. Then I almost feel like you use, and like this is just be an example. I'm just going to go off of the, the Milkman Ross because I literally just put up a post and wrote it out not 24 hours ago. So you use maybe like a Zach Hartman type that, you know, he's good to pitch for about two innings and that he is reliable and you know you're getting enough and you, you run a guy like that out there or maybe he use more of like a uh, like a swing type of guy like uh, maybe Florence would use maybe, uh, maybe like a Jared Cheek type guy who really sure. is a normal closer but he did start eight games this year and pitched in 20 others so maybe he's the kind of guy where you're like, okay, we know he's good, we know he's reliable uh, we could go ahead, we could run him out here for two innings now, and then we could probably throw him in the bullpen for, like, until we can get the rotation back to normal. Maybe you could do something like that, but I think I honestly kind of like that element of it, just because it does add even more strategy to it, and I think it does go to, if you're a manager, knowing how far you can push each of your guys, and it really does kind of pay off. If you know your team, you know what they can do that then maybe you can kind of get that extra inning out of a guy. Plus, I mean, it depends on the pitcher on the mound, too, because there's some guys that just straight up will not be coming out of a game. They're not going to let themselves get taken out. And then there's other guys that, you know, they know that, hey, I can't stay in this one. I, I'm kind of tapped here, or at the very least, 
you know, every pitcher fights to stay in a game, but there's certain guys that, you know, they're going to kind of know when it's like, okay, for the betterment of everybody here, I kind of got to take the hook here. But I think it, it does add a lot of, a lot of, uh, really strategy to it too, because it also makes you wonder, like, how much are you going to, like, alter your whole lineup? How much are you going to flip it over when you get to sudden death? Obviously, anyone that's kind of more or less in the lineup for, for batting, they're coming out of the lineup. They're, they're coming out of the field. You're putting in your best fielders in that case. But I, there's so much about this that's really interesting to me that, like you said earlier, well, I, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I really do want to see how this plays out though, because I think it is really, really interesting. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think it's going to affect that many games. I mean, like we said, this right. rule would affect, yeah. would have affected about 22, 25 games out of, let's see, every team playing about, 96 games last year so i mean out of what over a thousand games only about 20 of them were affected i mean that's that's a pretty small amount of games i mean that's what just about under two percent or so so i mean it's it's not like it's an it's not like every team's going to uh to deal with this it's just it's something that's extremely interesting and as far as like extra inning rules go and possible ways of wrapping a game up quicker i honestly do prefer this to i think a home run derby that i mean if we're being honest with ourselves, it's kind of like a shootout in hockey where it's like the baseball portion of tonight's game has kind of ended. Now we go to the more or less the skills competition part of it. And it's like, it's fine. You know, like it's one way of determining it, but this seems like out of, you know, necessity and practicality and wanting to keep the competitive spirit. This seems like a pretty fair compromise to me because obviously We've said in the past, and I'll say it again, you can't have a Tuesday night game that goes 17 innings. That's just not, you can't do it. Right. I mean, really, you can't have any game at this level that goes 17 innings, because unlike with affiliated minor leagues or major league baseball, you can't just call someone up or move some bodies around for a couple of days while you rest up your regular pitching staff. It's pretty much who you have is who you have. You have between 24 and 27 bodies out there that can, you know, play. So you can't have that going then just from an economics perspective. It's like when we start getting to 13, 14, 15 innings, it's like, okay, this whole park's kind of turned into a ghost town. We're just kind of bleeding money. We need to kind of wrap this thing up. So I I think this is a pretty good way, especially to, it keeps interest, if nothing else. It keeps you interested because it's like, okay, it's going to end soon and everything's like, the stakes get so much higher. And I, I do think, uh, I think it's going to be one of those that at the end of the year, we're going to look back and go either it was a good idea, it just it had some flaws, or it, we're going to look back and go, it was a really good idea and I like the way it was implemented. First of all, if you are of the camp where, okay, I absolutely hate this rule, this is the worst thing ever, I'm here to say, like, I don't love it either, but as to, to work off your point, Nick, yeah. It's not going to affect that many games, right? Because first you're talking about getting games to extra innings, and I mean, let's look at let, let's look at the uh, statistics uh, from the um, from the MLB side of things with a runner on second. So you assume it's it's pretty comparable. Seventy three percent of of uh, extra inning games produced a winner after one after one extra inning after the tenth inning, yeah. uh, or the eighth in a, in a hypothetical yeah. double header. Yeah. So out of all the games that get to extra innings. Only 27% of those extra inning games likely will end up 
with this rule. So it's not really going to like impact totally impact seasons. I mean, can you imagine if this like the last week of the year we have like a division race and this is the rule that this is uh and it then we gotta to, go to the eleventh inning? Yeah. Like that'd be insane. Now imagine so if that not, was imagine if that was between like Tri City and Sussex County for the final playoff spot. <laughs> would that not be fun? Yeah, oh, it'd be great. We could all dream. I feel like the two. I feel like the two of us have talked about county and county uh, tri city matchups next year. Exactly, because you know the beef's going to continue. At least that's what we're all hoping for. So I mean, like, why? It's just such a tempting thing because we don't get this in indie ball. It's to actually like, get something like this that when it does appear, you need to take advantage of it. Makes it makes it much more interesting. Uh, for us to talk about as well. Certainly. But, I mean, can, can you imagine if a, if a game, like in the last week of the year, uh, were to come down to this, whether you're talking wildcard races, you're talking division races, um, it, it is a really fascinating rule that, I, again, I can't say that I've ever thought of something. It makes me feel a little bit better that, uh, that the committee uh, that came up with this rule included three managers yeah. in, the, in the Frontier League, like Andy McCauley of Evansville, uh, Pat Scalabrini for uh, Quebec, and Bobby Brown for, for Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, that makes me feel a little bit better, just because, all right, it's not just, you know, people in suits making this rule saying, like, okay, what, what can, what will draw fans to the ballpark? There is that other perspective of managers who are also had a say in this. That makes me feel a little bit better, uh, uh about it. Um, so it, it's, it's a really, really fascinating rule. I don't, I don't want to f- strongly go one way or another. I'm, I don't love it just because of the, you know, I worry about the pitching aspect of it. Mm. But if I, I would say as far as like regular season games, I like it better than, than like a home run derby or, or something like that where you, you know, you, of course you, you get the shootout in, in the NHL, like in, in soccer, uh, in soccer games, you have, you have like the penalty kicks, like both of those things that I just really don't like. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, even, I mean, you could, you could even make the case that like three on three overtime is somewhat of a skills competition, but I love three on three overtime. Yeah. Record. It's, it's, I think it's just as much of a skill competition as something like this would be, where it's like, it's not yeah. like exactly the same as playing the game like you have for the past however many hours. But it's still more resemblant of a game than a home run derby or a shootout would be because it's now it's no longer just one particular element. And it's not even like in the home run derby you had where you had like an opposing pitcher versus an opposing batter like you kind of have with a penalty kick or a shootout where you have the opponent, the opposing goalie going against the opposing shooter. You had someone from the same team, you know, literally having a home run derby, which I think also is kind of like, well, I mean, that just comes down to who has the better power hitter and who has the better yeah. guy that can throw BP. Exactly. Know? So that, that, that was the other point I was going to bring up. It, yeah. It's like, oh, well, you also have to think about who throws BP. That is a big part of it as well. So, yeah. I, and I will say this has to be, I can't think of any other scenario in baseball where there is one singular runner. If the runner scores, that team wins, and if they don't score, they lose. Because it's in that case, it would just be a tie game or yeah. something like that. There's one runner; it's either they score, he wins, that team wins, and if they uh, if they don't score, he loses. 
I mean, that's that's something you never see in baseball. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I can't wait to see this in action. It's just because I, I'm not a huge fan of it doesn't mean I'm not intrigued to see it. I, I would like to see it. And again, I, I don't think it's going to come into play a ton uh, this in in play. But you know what? Uh, it's not a terrible thing to try out. Uh, and if it's a rousing success, maybe other maybe other leagues start to start to pick it up. I mean, probably not like Major League Baseball, but like other minor leagues or and, and whatnot could maybe adopt it if, it if it's a big success. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, well, there's always the possibility of that. But either way, like you said, we'll have to see on how uh, this all works out. But I think uh, I think we said enough about it. I think we made our thoughts clear on it. And so with that, we'll kind of move along to the uh, next kind of items here. Just a couple of housekeeping for two of them before we get back to a discussion uh, topic, really. Um, the PCU Park, where the boulders play, is going to be renamed from, you know, Palisades Credit Union Park uh, to Clover Park. It's a multi-year deal. And there's going to be new signage coming to the ballpark, digital signage, that is, uh, where obviously wherever it said PCU Park, it's going to say Clover Park now. In case you're wondering what Clover is, it's a point of sale and business management service. So, you know, like those little, uh, like white kind of boxes that you tap your card onto or insert the card to at the point of payment. Uh, that's pretty much what they do. They manufacture those things. They also help run businesses. So whatever kind of business service solution uh you'd use uh that's going through clover it's but yes they're owned by uh, i believe it's pfizer or fiserv uh it's the same company that owns the rights to i believe the milwaukee bucks stadium so it's that's the whole same family it's you know just a typical business one it's not directed to people like you or me it's directed more towards business owners and small business owners that's what they're directed at and also announced this week the maac championship will be Hosted at the Clover Park now is the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. It's a mid-major Division I uh, conference. Mostly uh, the smaller Division I schools in the greater New York region, if I'm right. It's schools like uh, like Hofstra. Is Hofstra a MAC conference, or are they not? No, you know. no, the, the, no, they're in the CAA. The, the MAAC, that's like Monmouth, Iona. Yeah, uh, Wagner, I think. Met, yeah, no, Wagner's in the Northeast Conference. I oh, thought. Right. So it's like see, it's like Fairfield, Ryder. Yeah, uh, see, because I know Fairfield's with Sacred Heart for something, so that's why I wasn't sure. And I know Sacred Heart is is uh is a Northeast. The yeah, the NEC, yeah, yeah. See, that's the problem with a lot of the mid majors; they jump around to different conferences. Well, there's a there's more realignment next year because uh, Stony Brook and uh, and Monmouth are going to the CAA. So it's. It's hard to keep track of, but all you need to know is it's, you know, kind of mid-major Division One programs in the greater New York area. That's what you need to know for this. Uh, so, yeah, they have a conference tournament and a new name. Yeah, so uh, as far as as far as the name itself, obviously naming rights are, are pretty minor, and if it's not like an insanely ridiculous name, I, I like it. I will say, though, it, it is easier to say than... Palisades Credit Union Ballpark. It's just saying Clover Stadium. That feels, uh, I don't know, it just rolls off the tongue a little bit more, a little, sleep, uh, a little shorter, so I don't mind that part of it. As far as the conference uh, conference tournament, I think it's a really good idea, and I, I honestly wish that more independent league teams did this mm-hmm. uh, because, one, it promotes your stadium. It draws like fans uh, who 
maybe they go to the the conference tournament there, and then they say, "Wow, this ballpark's really nice." Like maybe I should, maybe I'll come back for a a Boulders game or whatever. It, it's a it's a very low cost, like low risk thing for an independent league stadium to do, and especially one like that's a, that's as nice of a stadium uh, as Rockland is. You know, Iona, one of the teams in that conference is is right near that, right yeah. near there. Iona, just in New Rochelle. Uh, so not too far from, from Rockland at all. So, um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I honestly wish that more teams did this, uh, and not even just independent league teams, just minor league teams in general hosting conference tournaments. I think it's, it's a good way to try and expose your brand to fans. Uh, and, and of course, you know, there's, there's some good baseball on that field. And when you're going to the regionals, like it's a, it's a big deal. And I'm sure like you get, you probably like ESPN three broadcasting it or something. So you got, you get your stadium will get some, get some love and, uh, maybe, you know, the, the short, the short porch down the right field line. I think that that'll be interesting with those metal bats, you know? Oh yeah. That they're going to fly out of that ballpark. It's what's going to happen there. And I mean, it, it definitely yeah. is good for that. Plus, even for the players, I think it's good too. You play on a professional field and also for a lot of the guys that may be looking to continue the baseball career that aren't going to get drafted. If you're playing in one of these independent league ballparks, it makes it a lot easier to scout you. I mean, like you're that is all, very true. I mean, if, if the team's playing locally, you might as well just go to your ballpark. Or like this is going to happen from May 25th through May 28th. I'm sure that Rockland's going to be on the road playing somewhere during that time. But should they not be on the road, or should they be playing in like Sussex or New Jersey? Those are all very local. I mean, hey, if you're TJ Stanton. And you got some time during the day before the game. Why not swing over to your ballpark where you probably have an office anyway? So you'll probably be doing something over there beforehand. And you just watch and you see, is there anyone that really kind of stands out here that maybe I want to go? Hey, when you're done with this, if you're a senior, you know, give me a call. Exactly. I think that, that that's, that's a good point. Um, and especially, you know, there's some decent baseball being played in that conference. Yeah, you're right. Like as far as that, that's a good market for a lot of, for like the, like the better players in that league that are like seniors are like a little bit older and aren't going to get drafted. Like it's a good way to, to potentially scout them, have some front office members watching. You you would assume at that point uh, the team is on the road, so yeah. the coaching staff won't be there. But um, uh, but I, I, it's a it's a good idea. I, I wish more teams did it. It's a good way of doing it, and it's a good way to promote the ballpark, like you said. So, on that note, we'll swing over to the uh, <laughs> the other or last little bit of just kind of cleanup news work before we get to our last real discussion point of the week, and that is the Staten Island manager, uh, Eduardo Alfonso, officially became the manager. Opening day is May third. If you want to get out there for that first uh, Staten Island Fairy Hawk game. We kind of went in depth on this last week, so really it's just going to be kind of rehashing what we said a week ago. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great for promoting the team. Obviously, a guy that knows how to manage. Um, definitely going to be able to get people out to the ballpark um, based off his name alone. Uh, it seems like a pretty solid hire every which way. Yeah, uh, as I said last week, I, I'm I'm a really big fan of this. I think uh, the fact they were to get Eduardo Alfonso. Uh, to manage, and he's had a lot of success. Not managing in Indy Ball. I mean, he had a, he won a champ, a New York Penn League championship against my beloved Lowell Spinners. He, he's a really good manager. Uh, the I mean, Mets fans love him, yeah. so he's going to bring people to the ballpark. Even though, like, 
you know, and Staten Island, like, despite the fact that they were all branding about the Yankees, I mean, there's honestly probably more Mets fans on Staten Island. At the very least, it's a 50-50 split, you know? There's a large population of Mets fans that weren't exactly being marketed to over the past how many years? Yeah. So while I, I don't think that, uh, you know, Gary Perrone and, and the other uh, members of ownership were looking to, hey, let's find a former Met. Like, I, I think it, it works out really well uh, because he, he's going to be able to, he's a really good manager. He can help bring in, uh, he can he can help bring in uh, people to the ballpark who, who, who want to see him manage, want to see him, uh, want to see his team on the field. And, you know, I, I think that it, it's a really, really good hire. And, you know, there, there's always the risk that um, the yeah. team building aspects a little bit, a little bit different for him than he's used to. Because of course, when he was managing in Brooklyn, it was it was as simple as all right, here's your, the Mets saying, all right, here's your team, and calling up and sending down people as they please. So that that'll be a little bit different for him. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, that's what Eddie Medina is there to help with. So I think it's a really good hire. Uh, it's a, a big big name, and I gotta say. As far as the when the Ferry Hawks and Long Island Ducks play, and you have Edgardo Alfonso versus Wally Backman, I mean that that's pretty insane. Yeah, I mean that that's one hell of a matchup there. That's going to be fun to watch. And there's a lot of matchups like that. I think that we're going to see throughout here. And I do think, like we said in the past, bringing in a guy who also does have some ties to the Atlantic League as well um, is certainly certainly a positive, and it markets everybody else. And I think. Uh, at this point, we're just going to be re-saying what we said last week. So if you want more of our thoughts on it, you could just go to last week's episode. I think it's the first segment. So it's about two minutes into the episode. We start talking about all of this. So I'll be sure to check that out when you're done with this episode. But on that note, we do go to the last thing we have for this week. And that is the Pioneer League has a new name. Now, it's still the Pioneer League, but it's the Pioneer League presented by Ticket Smarter. So, essentially, they sold the naming rights to Ticket Smarter. It's a five-year deal. You know, there's pretty much all there is to it, but we haven't actually seen, really, a North American league actually sell their naming rights to a company. And it's just, uh, it's an interesting thing, and I'm kind of curious to know what you think about this, Will. You know, it's it's different. Um, of course, the, the naming rights, like, itself is kind of, eh, whatever, because, like, when people talk about the Pioneer League, they're going to be talking about the Pioneer League. They're not going to be talking about the Pioneer League presented by by Ticket Smarter. Um, now, you know, the interesting part about this is, uh, you know, are they going to become like the secondary ticket market for like the Pioneer League? I can't uh, imagine there's really a secondary market from Pioneer League tickets, but I know. But like then it says like Ticket Smarter like in their press release it says Ticket Smarter acquires secondary ticketing right ticket right ticketing rights, excuse me, uh, to the to the Pioneer League, which I don't know why there would be a need for secondary a secondary ticket market for the Pioneer League. I guess it's just kind of like if there is a secondary market or for what little of a secondary market there is, Ticketing Smarter is the preferred retailer of the Pioneer League. Because obviously you could probably sell your Pioneer League tickets on like a Ticketmaster or a Vivid Seats or a SeatGeek or whatever site you use for tickets. You could probably do that. But Ticketing Smarter probably is going to be the one they promote. And I imagine that they probably are going to be the interface that they're using for 
all their sales when they go through you know you go through your sales rep it's going to be going through the ticket smarter system i guess would be my at least be my educated guess guess on it it's only want to ask mike shapiro about when we interview him in a couple weeks yeah definitely i think that it's different um again i can't see the real need to have them being like like the the major resale the secondary ticket uh, option for the Pioneer League. I don't know. It doesn't really doesn't really make a whole uh, a whole lot of sense. You have to assume, like as you said, if you were to buy tickets from like the from the Ormals website, um, and it, it would probably will take you to some aspect of the Ticket Smarter website, and that that would probably maybe goes a little bit smoother instead of like the teams and the Pioneer League Pioneer League running like their own thing. Yeah. Um, maybe it's like easier to add like a ticket to your Apple wallet. I, I'm not sure. But um, it, it's a naming rights. It helps the Pioneer League make money. So not can't be a bad thing. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people get bent out of shape about a corporate name being attached to a league. But I mean, like you said, no one's going to go, Oh, did you catch the Pioneer League presented by Ticket Smarter game last night? Like, that's just not exactly. a thing that really gets done. And, I mean, I think I'd be a lot more bent out of shape about it if it was, like, the NHL presented by Discover. Like, that would annoy me a lot more than, you know, a minor league that, quite frankly, the money's definitely going to help them, you know, continue to survive and whatnot. And it's not exactly like the Pioneer League has a lot of easy travel. I mean, they're going through Utah, Colorado, Montana... Idaho, you know, these are not exactly the, the easiest areas to traverse. It's not like, you know, like the old Can-Am League where, yeah, you had three teams in Canada. So Canada to basically New Jersey isn't exactly a breeze of a trip, but it's pretty straightforward and it's easy enough to navigate. I mean, you're dealing with some, uh, some terrain out in the, uh, big sky country area. So, I mean, like I, I'm cool with it. I think there's just some that aren't exactly thrilled about having more corporate branding on things, but on a minor league level, I don't see too much harm in it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's, I don't see that much of a problem with it. It's just, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, partnership with the never, like, as you said, I, I never saw, I've never seen before a corporate sponsor added to the name of a league. So. Yeah, like I've yeah. seen teams, but not leagues. But Or games specifically, like I've seen yeah. that, like the Rose Bowl presented by blank. Yeah, I mean, well, every bowl game, basically. I mean, like, you know, the Birmingham First Responders Bowl, presented by Serpro. Duke's Mayo Bowl. Oh, yeah. They, they just continue on, you know, the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I mean, they, that's what they are. But, but yeah. So, I think that kind of just about does it for news for the week. But before we get out of here, because it was just Hall of Fame week, and I'm sure I think I know what your uh, thing to add is going to be for the week. But before we get to that, I think we should probably get moving on the Indie Ball Hall of Fame idea because we mentioned it uh, a while back, and I think now is kind of the perfect time for it. So I think next week we should have a discussion on what exactly qualifies a, a Hall of Famer for Indie Ball. I think that would be a good decision for next week. I think it would be a nice discussion topic. Totally agree with that. Uh, I think it would be lots of fun go over the qualifications and then, I don't know, maybe open it up to to uh, like to the, uh, the fans and listeners to see... Uh, See what their ballots would be, yeah, as well I, as, of course, us releasing ours. Yeah, naturally, I think that would be that'd be a fun thing to do, and I mean, I don't see any harm in it. So I think that's our I think that's our plan for next week. 
Let's do it. All right. So next week, you can look forward to the Indie Ball Hall of Fame uh, discussion. Uh, with that said, now we can get to the plugs, having sorted out uh, next week's plans. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod, and you can do so on Instagram at Indie Ball Report. You can also follow the show wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify. I know a lot of people are using Apple Podcasts, so that's also one there. But there are there are uh, many many uh, platforms that you can listen to the show. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on all of those platforms. Uh, likewise, if you want to find the show notes, uh, links to every episode and all the articles and everything that we produce, then is all on the website indieballreport.com. So be sure to check. Uh, that out and again we have reached uh, i guess because i actually forgot to mention this this is another uh kind of anniversary founding so technically let's see 19 to 20 20 to 21 21 to 22 this is actually like the third anniversary of the show technically it came out on february 2nd but by the time we get to the 2nd of february it's kind of you know past the date so um yeah just thought that would be of interest i know normally we mention that type of thing so uh, kind of happy birthday to the show i guess but uh yeah. Happy birthday, Andy Ball Report. Yeah, so that's that's how it is. Uh, that said, do we have anything else left to add? So, Nick, you you, you think you know what I'm uh, what I'm going to refer to in the uh, my thing to add? Yep. I th- let me see if I can get it right. I think at the right. start of the week it was going to be talking about the NFL's BS overtime rules, but then the Hall of Fame announcement came yes. out, and I think that kind of superseded it because the one member happens to be a Boston Red Sox, which Absolutely. we don't know. Maybe he'll go in as a twin. We don't know. No, he will <laughs> not go in as a Minnesota twin. What about a Seattle Mariner? Silly, silly Nick. He will not be going in as a Minnesota twin or a Seattle Mariner. He will be going in as a Boston Red Sox, which brings me to my thing to add, because David Ortiz uh, is a Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, as he should be. It's very, very exciting. Uh, he absolutely deserves it. Uh, and I'm, it was close, right? It was, it was yeah. definitely close. So, uh, it, it was, it was really good to see him get recognized and being put in on the, on the first ballot. Um, and just, you know, a guy that's, that's won so much, like helped the Red Sox win so much for, for more than a decade, like 12 years or whatever he was with the Red Sox. Or, I think like 13, actually, 2003 is his first year. So, uh, just a guy who had a, a ton of success, a guy who did done so much for the city of Boston. It was, uh, th- just really, really great to see. Can't wait for the, um, can't wait for the Hall of Fame induction. It's, it's very, just very, very happy that he was able to get in. Uh, and for the record, and I, I'm just gonna say this now. Mm. Because there was the, oh, the Hall of Fame announcement and Ortiz getting in was, I thought, overshadowed. Yeah. Uh, by the fact that Barry Bonds and uh, and Roger Clemens fell off the ballot. Yep. My personal thing about steroids uh, in the Hall of Fame is I kind of have a hybrid look at it. Yeah. That anybody who like is suspected or proved even proven to have used steroids before they before the MLB instituted drug testing and suspensions like pre-2003 or pre-2004, one of the, it was one of those two years that they did that. Anybody who used like steroids or whatever before that date where there was no punishment for it, I to me, I'm fine with that, right? So I would have voted for Barry Bonds. I would have voted for Roger Clemens. I would have voted uh, for Sammy Sosa. Um, 
that being said, I, I think it's wrong that Barry Bonds was not put in for that reason because I feel like judging people in that sense uh, and, and their careers and the, and the steroids that, that they ended up taking, something that was not against the rules, but now it's against the rules. So now we're going to say, oh, now you can't do that. You're a cheater. But it wasn't against the rules when he did it. I think to me that makes no sense. And so any guy who like was suspected to have used or used steroids pre-2003, pre-2004, I give a pass. And I would just put, I would just look at their numbers, their resume or whatever. And, and of course for a guy like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, I would, I would put both of them in the Hall of Fame. Now, on the other hand, anybody who uses steroids after 2003 or 2004, when suspensions were instituted and it was clearly against the rules, aka Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Robinson Cano, uh, I assume will go on the ballot when he retires as well. Yeah. Uh, I would not vote for neither, either of those guys. And I, and people can tell, tell me all the time, like, oh, you just don't want, you're, you're, you're just a Red Sox fan, so you don't want A-Rod to get in. That's not true. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't vote for Manny either. Because I think at that point, when you're, you're deliberately cheating and, and breaking the rules, of the game to, to get an advantage in something that is clearly against the rules and you clearly got caught for it. And even though in this whole thing about Alex Rodriguez, oh, he never failed a drug test. He literally admitted to doing it. Right. And then he has like all this sort of documentation. So I don't want to hear that. that Plus then he had he that shitty, drug test garbage. Yeah, then Aaron had that shitty Mia Copa that he did on ESPN. And then he got <laughs> rung up again on steroids. Exactly. So he was, that was like, the funniest he, part. The, I only used it when I was with the Texas Rangers. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. About that. So like, if like Ryan Braun were to come up, like I like not him. Like I wouldn't vote for Nelson Cruz either. As, as amazing of a hitter as he is, uh, that because when people say on, on the flip side of this, oh, it's just a museum. It's a museum of baseball history. In a on a basic level, yes, but. At the same time, like you have that to say that and just say, put it that black and white is to essentially remove what being inducted into the Hall of Fame means and what like you're just casting it aside that oh it's just a museum. No, it's not just a museum. It's to honor the greatest, uh, the greatest players and it's uh, to ever play the game, and it it should be treated as such. And so for people who deliberately broke rules that were on the book as far as cheating. I I would like I would not vote for them. Now people who broke who broke a rule that is against the rules did something that is against the rules today, but not when they played. I think it's unfair to judge them like that. So I hope Bonds and Clemens get in and the Veterans Committee, but I don't know. But I think that's a slippery slope anyway, just because I don't know how former players view it. I know how I view it. I don't know how former players and his and their peers view it. I guess we'll have to see. But, uh, I think that that's my line in the sand, and that's my view on the Hall of Fame. And uh, so, I, I know this was a long monologue yeah. about the Hall of Fame, but you know, there it is. Yeah, for me, I just don't want any steroid user in the Hall. I don't really particularly care. I understand they weren't really enforcing any steroid rule on the book, and I get all that. And again, I understand there's probably some that are in the hall, and I am totally fine with auditing the hall and going through it and removing anyone that does not meet either the the character clause, which, quite frankly, Barry Bonds does not meet the character clause if even, you know, a quarter of what he's alleged of doing in his personal life is true. Uh, or even Omar Vizquel, like who's oh, currently yeah. on the ballot. I have no problem with leaving Barry Bonds out, plus the fact he cheated, and also he was playing after 04. 
So he was still almost certainly still using roids after 04. So mm, I'm kind of cool with yeah. leaving him out. And I'm also fine with leaving Clemens out. Again, I'm just a clean haul type of individual. So seeing them both mm-hmm. miss, you know, I was like, good. I'm happy about this. And everybody else going, you can't tell the story of baseball without him there. Well, technically, he is mentioned in the Hall of Fame. It's not like there isn't any mention of Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens in the Hall. They're mentioned. They just don't have their plaque. They're not enshrined in the Hall of Fame. They're part of exhibits. That's totally still a thing. How Barry Bonds' record-setting home run, which, as much as I don't really choose to acknowledge, I still view Hank Aaron as the home run leader, but that's a whole separate issue. That baseball's in the Hall of Fame. So he's still part of the Hall of Fame. It's just you're not enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So you could still tell that story. And why can't people see the difference of that? Yeah. Why do people not see the difference? Of, oh, it's just a museum. Yeah. And I would say, no, it's, there's clearly there's a honor. difference between the two. Yeah. It's clearly a difference. Exactly. Right? And, yeah. and I, again, like the people who I say, like, like Jeff Pass, I love Jeff Passan, but yeah. Jeff Passan saying we should completely remove the character clause well, he's talking about steroid users. Okay, but that's not just the character clause. Yeah. You're talking about Omar Vizquel and terrible people like that. Yeah, you're t- telling me you would Omar Vizquel deserves to have a Hall of Fame speech and a and a whole thing after like being accused of like beating multiple women? Absolutely not. Yeah. No way. It's like we're the character clause works partially for you know fitness and character of the game, but also for the player for exactly like that. Like the people that get enshrined are supposed to be. They were at the top 1% of the top 1% of people that played at the major league level. And that these are the people we want representing baseball. That they are the kind of people that when you take your kids through the Hall of Fame and they're baseball players, you go, you want to be like X. It's like, that is, that's the point of enshrining them. It's the highest honor you can give to a baseball player. So you have to meet that both on and off the field. And it's more than just being like, Jeff Kent, who's just kind of an asshole and was like that to the media. And that's probably why he's not going to get into the Hall of Fame, even though his numbers are kind of borderline. But I mean, if Lee Smith gets put in, I mean, hey, you could probably put Jeff Kent in. But besides the point, it's like that's one thing. It's another thing when you're doing shit that's borderline criminal to criminal. That That's not that's not acceptable. You can't put that in. That's a character failing. Right, and I'm surprised that, that it's so hard for like certain people to like like see the difference between like saying like oh you're erasing them from history. No one's erasing them from history. Like it's an honor to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. It's a ceremony. It's a uh, it's a, you get to, you get a speech. You get a plaque. Why, why is this like? Exactly. Of course, there's there's so many other instances of players who are not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. And they're mentioned in some point in the Hall of Fame, but they don't have a plaque, and nobody says a word about that. That doesn't. Does that mean everybody who's like mentioned in the Hall of Fame needs a plaque? No. Yeah. Like no one. Come on. And like to say you don't have a plaque means you get forgotten. I don't think anyone's forgotten about Pete Rose or Shoeless Joe Jackson. Like we all just don't remember them. You can't really tell the story of baseball without them. It's just they're not in the Hall because, well, I mean, Shoeless Joe's a lot. You know, that's much more of a different case scenario there. But Pete Rose bet on fucking, he bet on baseball. You can't bet on games that your team's playing in. There's a clear conflict there. Yeah. Even if you're betting on them to win, because what? You're going to go through every single bet he's ever made. Yeah. And say, uh, and, and say, we need, let's confirm every single bet he's ever made was on, was for his team to win. Exactly. And keep in mind, 
That was the agreement he signed. He took the deal of, we stop investigating, you're banned from baseball. He took that deal because, let's be honest, he, there's probably bets against his own team there. And then that throws a whole nother wrench into things. And it's like, hey, you know, no one's denying that Pete Rose is one of the best baseball players of all time. But you can't bet on your team. You can't bet on games you take place in. It's it, There's such there's so much wrong with it. But Yeah, so, and like, for example, like... There's a difference between, like, not being inducted in the Hall of Fame. Like, in Pete Rose's case, like, I, I'm not here to say, okay, Pete Rose is a bet on baseball, therefore he should, uh, th- therefore he's no longer the all-time hit king. Yeah. Of course not. He is the all-time, all-time hit king, and he's, like, a, one, of the be- one of the greatest players ever to play. That doesn't mean that you didn't do something that was horribly, horribly wrong that could have, uh, that really could have, um, and listen, you can argue about whether he does like he should be allowed in the Hall of Fame now. And I think you can make a decent case for it, but at the same time, you can't argue that you can't act like he did nothing wrong, yeah. right? Or like because like people making the case, oh, he bet for his team. I'm sorry, but you cannot prove that. No yeah. way you can prove that. Exactly. So I think we've went on long enough in the in the post show. Yeah, it was definitely a good run, though. I definitely think so too. So. Um, I don't think we have anything much left to add, so, you know, until next time, uh, don't forget to play ball.